0: Want to begin this episode of In the Sauce without stopping to listen to a spiel about our sponsor, Oatly, the vegan plant-based oat milk originally from Sweden that's now available in the U.S.? Okay, let's just begin. This week on a special
1: bonus episode of Meat in 3, we find out why the bacon, egg, and cheese, that classic bodega sandwich, is popping up on menus of New York's trendiest restaurants.
0: We did a few iterations of it, and I was trying to fancify it. We tried the sausage egg and cheese, and then we tried to put sharmoula sauce on it. We used feta cheese, and we're just like taking ingredients of the Mediterranean, if you will, and try to infuse it. But uh, for me, it was like a car wreck. Tune in to hear about the wild journey of the bacon, egg, and cheese, from deli to fine dining, on Meat and 3,
1: HRN's weekly food news roundup, available wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Today, I'm speaking with Pooja Bavishi, founder of Malai, the crazy delicious Indian-influenced ice cream lauded by Vogue, NBC, Eater, Grub Street, and CNN. For nearly four years, Pooja sold her ice creams online and at pop-ups. This past March, Puja opened a scoop shop in Cobble Hill where you can find more than 20 flavors. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Like baklava, Turkish coffee. I wrote this out and I tried to like narrow the list down, but I couldn't because they all sounded so good. So they're (laughs) like, I'm about to list a lot of flavors. Okay. Baklava, Turkish coffee, rose with cinnamon, um, almonds, masala chai, pumpkin garam masala, golden turmeric, a few more. Um, Malai pints can be found at Whole Foods and a bunch of other gourmet groceries in the New York area, as well as Central Market.
1: In Texas, yeah, and we're in Northern California as well.
0: Oh, wow. We're in Northern California.
1: Um, We are at Nugget Market and then a bunch of specialty foods. Cool.
0: Okay, so all you Northern Californians, (laughs) go get it. Um, I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I feel like we're... we've just, our paths have crossed a lot ever since we were first introduced. Now I feel like I see you like once a week.
1: <laughs> I don't <laughs> or, mind it. <laughs> yeah, it's really
0: fun. Um, and I think I think one of the things that you can really help people think about is the sort of physical location, online sales, store, um, yeah, you know. A multi-channel business. These multi-channel yeah. sort of. and And I think, you know, Today, we got the news that um, City Bakery closed. And, you know, I think it it was... For people who are in the brick-and-mortar world, it's a really sad day. Um, And, I, I mean, I think a lot of food lovers, it's a sad day because it's just this sort of... It feels like a harbinger that even if you have all of this great love from the community under your belt, in New York City... Being a brick and mortar is just not going to be enough, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you saw that Meg Pies also closed a couple of weeks ago, which is a CPG company. And then City right. Bakery a couple of days ago. I don't know. I I, I think it just goes back to the food industry is just not as easy or as glamorous as it looks. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's a little... it's. It's heartbreaking, first of all, because they make such amazing products and the world no longer has those products. Um, So that's sad. But also, just like, you know, like I think of food businesses as like classes. And like I'm a freshman and they're sophomores and seniors. And and, you know, it's, I've looked up to these businesses and they were the upperclassmen. In my mind, even after being in the business for, you know, for four years and knowing that there is this dark side and the really, really difficult side, in my mind, they had figured it out and they had, they're succeeding and they're, you know, they have the golden ticket and it's really difficult and it really brings you back to reality to see that they're also struggling.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're going to, I, we're going to get into your childhood in a moment, as you know, but I do think that there's, I think you're right about being the freshman. And I think that it just also goes to show, you know, you have to be as smart as humanly possible as you can be about it. And you have to be one step ahead always. So what worked for a company literally six months ago might not work you know, we were just talking about Instagram in the car ride over. Like you used to be able to build a brand on Instagram for no money. Right. And that is just that's not possible anymore. Right. Um so all of these things are shifting so quickly that you need to be smart and you need to have a great product, obviously, and you need to have a curiosity to you, but you also just need a shit ton of luck.
1: And and money. <laughs> and money.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well yeah. luck and money go together. <laughs> right. Sometimes. Yeah.
1: That's very true. Yeah.
0: Um, okay. So you Yes. Um so you know it's fun when I have someone on the show who actually listens to the show I'm because That's I know, thank you. Um, <laughs> Because you know, you know, you can start thinking about these things pretty early on before you get your sort of, here are some questions I might be asking you. But you know the drill. Were you, where did you grow up? What was your thing? Were you always into ice cream? Were you always into brands? Were you a food gal? Yeah.
1: Um, I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually, I was, my parents... Um, immigrated here from Western India. My dad um, came here for grad school Mm -hmm. in the 70s, and then my mom came in 1980 after she married my dad. Um, And they moved to Pennsylvania, so we lived in the Lehigh Valley. And then my dad has always had his own business for as long as um, I have been alive. And so um, he he has a textile business. And my mom um, stayed at home with us, um, but she... um, was an attorney in India and so she actually just joined in with my dad into um the after yeah into his business right. after um you know like we were self-sufficient <laughs> more or less.
0: And when you were growing up, were you in a community that had a lot of other like Western Indians in the community? Is that part of why you moved there or was it just like you were sort of on the frontier of? Yeah. yeah so we're, so, um,
1: we're, my family's from the Western part of India, so we're actually East Indian, but, um, okay. but, um, yeah, so in Pennsylvania, so this was the big culture shock that we experienced that in Pennsylvania we definitely were. Um, and then my dad's business kind of moved to, this was when, when North Carolina was like the booming mm-hmm. textile state yeah. um, and he moved his business to Charlotte or right outside of Charlotte. And we moved to North Carolina, which it was 1994. Yeah. It was a major culture
0: shock yeah. for all of us.
1: Um, and so no, not as much there. We, right. we didn't really have, um, we felt like the other yeah, um, definitely much more there than we ever did in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: my, I mean, I'm from New York, and I felt like the other <laughs> North Carolina, yeah, yeah, you know, a lot.
1: And and honestly, Charlotte has changed yeah. so
0: much. Yeah.
1: Um, even while I still live there, but um, but the mid '90s was yeah. was rougher. And <laughs> um, so,
0: were you? were you eating primarily indian food cuz i know that you have this like incredible connection to those flavors and, yeah you know, yeah
1: so i no i mean like right. yes yes and no my 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 mom would cook dinner every single night right um and it would be a mix it would be it would probably be like 50% of the time it would be indian food and the others it would be pasta and right. tacos and yep. and everything like that but um and like you know it's one of those things like I feel like this is like true of every first generation and maybe even like everyone where you don't appreciate yeah. what you have at home until yeah. you don't have it anymore, obviously, right. but also like you don't appreciate the uniqueness and, and how comforting it was yeah. until you've left. And yep. so ever since, like, you know, Indian food was the norm. It was every day. It was what was expected. Mm-hmm. Um, it was exciting when my mom made, you know, baked nuggets, lasagna. Right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, but now today, my comfort food is like yeah. that very simple lentils and rice that my mom would make, or yeah. um, you know, like a barley bread with yogurt, like very yeah. very simple food um, that was an everyday part of my life, but I didn't appreciate it until later. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting.
0: And then dessert, like because now yeah, you're an ice so, cream.
1: So so one of the jokes of. Um, just Indians in general, the mm-hmm. part of wh- where, like the part of India, where my parents are from Gujarat, mm-hmm. um, literally in that cuisine, there's sugar in everything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, like you, like a traditional meal is called a thali which is mm-hmm. uh, translates to like this like big steel, stainless steel plate. Um, and you have, and it has like a little lip to it. So like nothing spills out Right. and you have different piles of food there, yeah. but your desserts on that plate as well. Right. So it's never like an after meal right. thing. That's cool. And then like the other thing is that like there's in, in like our lentil soup, there will be a little bit of sweetness in there yeah. in the vegetables. Right. Be Chutney a little,
0: or whatever. Right? Everything
1: so yeah. will have a little bit of sweetness. Yeah. Um, and and so, like, you know, like, I think that, like, a sweet tooth was just expected. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was expected to have a sweet tooth. And um, and then on top of that, like, my, my mom definitely made desserts. Uh-huh. But she never baked. Right. Um, that wasn't, like, her thing at all. She would definitely, like from time to time, especially when we had like bake sales at school or Mm -hmm. anything like that, she would, you know, read the back of a, you know, cereal box or chocolate chip bag or whatever and bake us cookies. And that would be amazing. And we would love it. And we would eat them until they ran out. Yes. Um, And it would be like a special treat. Um, But it was never her thing. Like she, she never like, that's not what we expected from her. Um, And we expected a lot. (laughs) Um, And, and so I, I, Myself, I like. I just like became very interested in, um, in just like in baking. Just like yeah. we just didn't do it that often, right. and so I just became very interested in it. I was a very curious child. Like uh-huh. I asked a lot of questions about everything. <laughs> like yep. it's too bad Wikipedia didn't exist when right. I was a child, um, and so a lot of my questions about cooking and baking and things like that, my mom would answer when she knew, but when she didn't, she was like, why don't you just try it yourself? Right. And so I started to. Interesting. So when did you start baking? So my very first, like, this is like my, my very first memory of baking, but I, I, of myself, like on my own baking, I was watching Saturday morning TV shows. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like flipping the channels because I was 10 and you know, that's what I did. (laughs) And, um, And Mrs. Fields, of Mrs. Fields Cookies fame, had a TV show. This was pre-Food Network, Uh or maybe it wasn't, but I wasn't watching it. And um,
0: she was making a white chocolate cheesecake. And I don't know if you've ever, have you ever seen Mrs. Fields? No, but I mean, it's like, I'm picturing this like little girl in front of the TV and like getting hooked on Mrs. Fields and her batter Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, She was just
1: like, she was so energetic (sighs) and enthusiastic about this white chocolate cheesecake. She seemed so happy to be making (laughs) it. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is this is what I want to do today. It wasn't like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is is what I want to do today. So I asked my mom if I could make a white chocolate cheesecake. Um, And she was like, yeah, I'll take you grocery shopping and then the kitchen's yours. Wow. So she did. And I like, you know, obviously things didn't go as planned. Maddie just showed us See?
0: a picture. <laughs> Mrs. Fields looked like she just like did an eight ball or something before she got on set. Like, I mean, how I don't could know you she was not sidetrack a cheesecake? <laughs> I think she was just like on drugs. She looks I mean- super high. <laughs> But anyway, carry on. I mean, she you would have appreciated a cheesecake. I'm sure she would have. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm glad she got you fired up about it. Exactly. Yeah. So you
1: made one. I made one, and it was like I, I had written down the recipe because there was no like
0: right internet yes, of course. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, and and like I made it all wrong. Right. Like I like I cut it <laughs> when it was hot, and right. like the topping and the filling, everything kind of blended into each other. But I like I made it, yes. and I cut a slice for my mom, dad, and my sister. And they ate it. And it was it was like legitimately delicious. Yeah. Um, but I what I remember though, they were like they were just like,
0: Yay. Right. <laughs> you know? They
1: were just <laughs> so happy yeah. that like I made something. Yeah. Like I just made this connection that like I made something. And I gave them joy. And I gave them joy. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's so
0: funny. I think I mean, I would say over 90% of the people that, I mean, my, my people tend to be food people, Mm -hmm. right? Like I think food people, we have like a weird little thing around us and we attract each other and we like talking to each other and totally, but for the most part, it's just because we get high again, sorry to keep using that (laughs) expression, but like there's something in us that just, that we get kind of addicted to the feeling of giving someone that feeling. And whether it's like cooking for them or in our case, like I'm sure you have that when someone is sampling the ice cream or when you see someone buying a carton or when they write you a thing, like I'd had this and it made me so happy. The thought of not doing that for as many possible moments of your life as you can is like not possible to us. That's why to go back to the beginning of the conversation, it's not like we're not warned. We are fully duly warned how challenging this is going to be. And it's not like we're delusional right. and we're like no, it'll be great. Like we know how hard it's going to be, but the like the joy of giving someone that feeling of like wow, this is delicious is worth it. Yeah, know? I think that food
1: I, I completely agree. I think that food and hospitality go hand in hand. Yep. Um, and like I, I am influenced by my parents and and growing up, but I think that the number one influence about all of this was my grandmother. Mm-hmm. That like it didn't matter. She lived. She she lived in India. She grew up and lived her entire life in India. But she was, if anyone went to her house, mm-hmm. even if they didn't like she she didn't speak a word of English, yep. and even if they couldn't communicate with her, everyone came back saying she was the warmest person. Yep. And, like, how do you express that? Through food. Through food, yeah. And so, like, I think that's the feeling I want people to have. I want to evoke when, whenever they come into Malai yeah. that, like, that they felt welcome. Yeah. And they they felt like it was
0: a joyful place to yeah. be, going back to joy. I think, um, I mean, you certainly t- when you eat the ice cream, you certainly feel that. I felt it. Like, you feel it through that, like, what's the the sweet cream or the just... The sweet milk, Yeah, yeah. the sweet milk. That just... Gave me all the feels. Okay, but you did not go into the field. You no, you I did not. Had a blog, as I, I recall, <laughs> and then you got an MBA. As one did <laughs> in yes, as one did. Um, you got an MBA in urban planning. Uh,
1: so we I got to. I I Ur- got several degrees. Okay, <laughs> before jumping into the ice cream business. So I have um, a master's in urban planning from the London School of Economics. Oh, cool. Came back. Got it. Um, Graduated when when the recession was happening. Did not get a job in it and came back. um, Was about to... My parents, because they were entrepreneurs, were also not delusional about it. Like, they they knew the ups and downs. And I had seen their ups and downs. Um, But my... So there's this conversation that I had with my dad. So I did end up going to business school
0: after that. Got it, right. Yeah. There is no MBA in urban planning. No, there are separate I, degrees. I, yeah, <laughs> I wish
1: for my student loans, I wish that there was one degree, but no. Yeah. Um but like I, I when I was kind of like recruiting for jobs and looking for that next step, knowing that this was kind of in the background of like starting a dessert business, I was talking to my dad and he was like You get a job, and then what? And Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know, Dad. I I get a paycheck, and I get stability. And he was like, okay, you get stability, and then what?
0: Mm. And
1: I was like, I don't know what you want me to say, Dad. Like, what are you asking? And he was like, let's say you get 150000 Then what? Yeah. And I was like then 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 that's that and he was like but you haven't built anything
0: oh he was like what are you building I for love yourself that because you know so many parents are like you know get that paycheck right and worry about your stability you know- is everything yeah, of course but instead he was like
1: you haven't like build something for yourself build something for the future oh. and so i was like oh okay yeah, <laughs> here we, we go. go
0: yeah and So the folklore has it that you had a dinner party and (laughs) you made ice cream with flavors that contained sort of the spices and the flavor profiles of the food and the rest is history. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So kind of three things happened simultaneously. One was this conversation with my dad. Um, The second was um, I I had a conversation with my mentor at business school Mm -hmm. Um, and he was like... um, I was kind of, honestly, I was just complaining that like I didn't like, nothing that I was seeing in terms of recruitment was really sticking. Like I wasn't excited about anything. And he was like, okay, let's just take a step back. Like, what do you want to be an expert in? Do you want to go in marketing? Do you want to go in finance? Do you want to go in strategy? And I kind of paused and I said, I want to do it all. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, I mean, he even knew that like this dessert business was something I wanted to do. So he said, it seems like this is the only thing you can do. Yeah. And then yes, I had this dinner party, a friendsgiving, um, where I made ice cream to go. along I always made the desserts because, like you said, I had a blog, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I was really focused on baking right. and like bakery aspects. Like I thought I wanted a bakery, uh-huh. um, but for the first time, I had made ice cream to go along with those baked goods. Uh-huh. And ice cream has dairy in general, has a very very blank palate, yep. so um, it'll carry whatever flavor you flavor it with, yep. and so. Um, I just, I, it, it wasn't anything complicated. I made a star anise ice cream and I made mm-hmm. a ginger ice cream, but mm. I put enough in the way my mom had taught me to flavor yep. savory Indian dishes. Yep. And my friends were like, this is something that we had never, we've never had before. And really one of them was like, I would buy this. Uh-huh. And, and that was really the shift of like, maybe this is a concept that I should move forward
0: with. So then you decide to move forward I did. Um, And you had to learn a little bit. And I love this because this is, by the way, what Jenny also did Mm -hmm. from Jenny's. My Um, brand role model. Yeah. I mean, she should be just everyone's just human role model. She's just incredible. Um, But you went to take a little class. And I think that that is a piece that people miss. I think that, you know, it's one thing to want to be all those things and to build something and to have the dream and to have the vision. There are a lot of people who just want to found a company. Yeah. They don't necessarily want to put in that work or get educated, but I like the fact that you went and, like, went to Penn State and took the ice cream class and learned. Yeah, like I the think that's really
1: it. important. I mean, yep. I think that I was very, and I, I've always said this about myself to this day, but I was very cognizant of the fact that I was a hobbyist. Right. I didn't have any formal training in food or in culinary arts or anything like that. I had grown up watching food TV and reading cookbooks and Mm -hmm. reading about recipes and how flavors fit together, but that didn't at all make me capable of
0: starting a business in this. I think a lot of people misunderstand that. Mm -hmm. And I think that, unfortunately, these days too, there's a lot of this, like, you go, girl. You you boss lady. You know, yeah, you. And the problem with building people's confidence without building their, you know, um, education is that you get these very lopsided sort of people out there that think they know a lot that don't but they're being told that they need to be overly confident because that's how you get you know that's how you get to where you want to get to yeah you know? and i think
1: that there's some truth to that mm-hmm. um i think that there are two kinds of entrepreneurs i think mm. that there are those is, i'm going
0: to take notes
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i think there are those that um that don't necessarily have an expertise in that field, or mm-hmm. even desire to have one, um, or even have a desire to have one. Right, English. Um, <laughs> but they they know the right people, or they have the funding to hire the right team. Mm-hmm. Still, and then there are those that want to be kind of in, like they want to be in the trenches. They like want to be the one who's doing everything knowing they have that vision of like getting bigger and growing and Mm -hmm. and getting out of that eventually, but knowing that you have to know that in order to
0: move forward. So
1: I'm going to
0: take your two types of entrepreneurs and add to it because I think that food in particular, and this I will just like say till the cows come home, I don't think you can be type one in food and be long-term successful. You might be able to be type one when you're launching a supplement company Mm -hmm. or, you know, um, collagen. I always (laughs) pick on collagen a lot here, but like, (laughs) you know, but food, you have to know it from the ground up. I feel like not to say you need to. I'm I'm not a professional chef by training, but I know food, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've had enough experience like in my brick and mortar to be able to go out there and talk about food and cook food. I think... I think food is almost like its own little weird world, you know? But anyway, you wanted to be number two.
1: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think I had to be. Yeah, I think the other thing is that I didn't have funding. Right. Like, right. Like laying out yeah. there for me, for me to like just build this business without, without that education. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So I, that was the very first thing I did. Yeah. Um and i was actually in my last year of business school at the time and NYU has kind of a january term right. and so instead of taking a class or going on a trip i um i went to penn state for that week and i learned the com- like commercial ice yeah. cream making and milk solids and milk it was a very very math heavy class yeah
0: sure it's science
1: it's way, science right? yeah Awesome, And I came out of that being like, what have I gotten myself yeah. into?
0: Uh, but, right. but it's
1: exciting, yeah.
0: On that note, yeah. we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about um, how you figured out everything from pricing to branding to like when you knew you had a business. Great. So we'll be right back. the sauce is brought to you by Oatly, the vegan plant-based oat milk originally from Sweden that's now making their oat milk on this side of the Atlantic. I know you're used to hearing me talk about how important it is to have a killer product and a great brand identity, and Oatly has both. They're an oat milk company from the south of Sweden that's been around for 30 years making super sustainable oat milk. Actually, Oatly invented oat milk. Now they're in the U.S., and people are loving it. If you haven't tried Oatly, I highly suggest it. It won't change your life, but it will certainly change your mornings. You can check it out at Oatly.com. That's o-a-t-l-y.com. Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a
1: rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame, who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. Explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe, taste and imbibe to your heart's content, and bid on once-in-a-lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Tickets available now at heritageradionetwork.org gala.
0: I'm back with Pooja Bavishi, founder of Malai Ice Cream. Okay. So you get back from Penn State, you're like, I'm going to do this ice cream business thing. Just walk me through sort of your first steps. A wh- wh- How did you find any money to do it and what did you need money for? Yeah. B Were you immediately thinking, did Like, were you thinking about pints and were you thinking about, you know, store distribution or were you thinking I'm going to have scoop shops all over the US or, you know, how did you figure out step one through five and what were they?
1: So uh, the very, very first thing, um, you know, after I had the concept and knew I wanted to do Indian inspired flavors and Mm -hmm. I already had the name Malai and and all of that, um, the very first thing was I wanted to establish my branding. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is that uh, it's obviously, fun. <laughs> well, it's fun. Um, yeah. I actually think it's kind of stressful. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. It's fun. <laughs> right. Um, but I obviously knew that it was a very 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 saturated market
0: everyone should pause your podcast right now go to malai m-a-l-a-i and just look at how beautiful those pints are
1: oh thank you and then you can come back <laughs> i think we can and keep talking back. we <laughs> don't have to
0: wait for them to do that because that would be silly but then yeah. come back okay. yeah
1: <laughs> um i, I- I should preface by saying that I have a very, very, very talented designer. Clearly, um, but I, I knew what I wanted though. I, I will say that for I, I, I couldn't really picture what it looked like. But what he he asked me, he said, "What are three words yeah. that you want the brand to kind of evoke?" That's a great and, question. What were they? And I said, I wanted to evoke. Um, Like high end luxury, high end luxury. Yep. Um, I wanted to be global, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and I wanted it to still be approachable.
0: Okay.
1: Um, Because I knew, like, even though I knew these flavors and kind of like the direction I wanted, like the the brand to go in, I also was really well aware of the fact that there's so many, um, like, kind of like quote unquote commonplace desserts that had entered the luxury market. Yep. But ice cream hadn't. Mm -hmm. And ice cream was in the middle of experiencing this big boom, um, started definitely recalibrated market by Jenny's and um, like where there was much more care into which ingredients were going in and like making your own ice cream base from scratch and using whole ingredients and really putting a lot of care into that final product. Um, and
0: I wanted to enter that space as well. Right. And the, I mean, I think it probably went hand in hand, but the flavor profiles got much more sophisticated and, and way beyond sort of, you know, w- chocolate, ice- vanilla, strawberry. Exactly.
1: Yeah, 100%. And like, you know, things like overrun, which is the amount of air that's pumped into the ice cream, and butterfat content. Like became a like more commonplace. Like our customers ask about that now. Interesting. So and like obviously you know like where does your dairy come from? Right. And and, you know just like it, there's a lot more thought that's put Mm -hmm. into ingredients and process and and I want I wanted the branding to
0: reflect our product. Yep, it does. Um. So that was step one, and then. what, right. what, what was your plan? I mean, what, did you think I want to shop did or did you think one? I want... No.
1: So when I started, I 100% like... Did not want brick and mortar. Did not want brick and mortar. Like yeah. no part of me wanted brick and mortar. I wanted to be a wholesale company and yep. I wanted to do events. Like those were the two things that I wanted to excel at.
0: Yeah,
1: um, And quite frankly, the reason for that was... Um, Two, there were two reasons. The main one was that I didn't want to be in the service industry. I'm yeah. not going to lie. Like, I, like they, yeah. I, I think that that's what you're judged on. Um, and I didn't... I didn't want to... I wanted to be judged by my product. Yep. Um, and this the second... Also just,
0: it's just so
1: expensive And the New second New York, one yeah. is that, like, brick and mortar in New York is just really expensive. Exactly. Yep. And so, I, like, I just didn't want to take that on. Yeah. Um, and so, what I... What is the challenge there, though, is that it's hard... Um, so what I, I used a little bit of my savings and my parents helped me out at the beginning. That first year was definitely like a very proof of concept year. Mm-hmm. Like I did, um, Hester street fair once a week, which, you know, obviously it's such a kind market to small food businesses and small mm-hmm. food entrepreneurs. Um, so I did Hester street fair and I did Fulton stall market at
0: South street seaport. And just to clarify, you weren't doing pints yet or were you were and just like doing was, scooping at the fair scooping. Mm-hmm. I
1: would, you know, like I would get, Labels made from Vistaprint, Mm -hmm. if someone wanted, and get pints off of Amazon if someone wanted a pint. Um, But those labels weren't even freezer friendly. So they would wrinkle in the freezer and, like, you know, things like that. Um, And then at the end of that summer, so, you know, just honestly just figuring things out. And I think the thing to note here, though, is that because I didn't go directly into wholesale, Mm -hmm. I did do this, like, direct to consumer scooping at the beginning. That is kind of what we were
0: known for. At, like that's what we got to be known for. It also was such a great opportunity. You know, people want to get right to it, but the reality is, is like you get a lot of information from these farmers' markets and these small. 100%. You know, in our case, like in our own cafe, like it's you get immediate customer you know, yeah. feedback.
1: Yeah, it's and you, great. Yeah. It's very valuable. I mean,
0: and everyone, you know, everyone who's come on here has said either they're really glad that they took a little longer to do the testing they needed to do and just to see where the consumer felt about things or they wished that they had done a little more because they could have saved themselves some time and money later on. Yeah. You know? So this was this was good. I mean right. whether it's a or not low it was barrier like to entry. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Um, at the end of that, so literally I was selling like once or twice a week. And at the end of that summer, um, a New York Times food writer was walking by Hester Street Fair. Mm. And he liked the ice cream. Yeah. And we ended up in the Times, which was so generous. And yeah. so we were so not prepared for yeah.
0: it. <laughs> so what happened? Did people so go to we, your website and then you just... They realize
1: there's there's no way of buying <laughs> the ice right. cream.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and they kind of gave up. I mean, what really happened is that we got our first wholesale accounts through awesome. through that. Um, and we f- that's how we figured out how to ship ice cream tr- through trial and error, literally through my apartment. Like, yeah. was, like when I say we, I really
0: just mean me. It and was, did you get like a commercial freezer in your apartment? I had three chest freezers
1: in my apartment. Right. I had a countertop um, commercial ice cream maker mm-hmm. that made half a gallon at one time.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Um, and... And yeah, and that that's how I, I use my stove, my apartment stovetop, right? Um, You know, and and like I, I could have had, I think that this is the thing that like I I didn't have steps one through five, right? You know, in in March when I was like kind of figuring things out, like right. you know, I had my LLC established and I had my branding and I had my permits and and mm-hmm. things like that, Um but you know, like steps one through five kind of change as you kind of go through those first couple of months. And so even though like I established everything in 2015, I don't think I actually was a business right. until later. So 2016 is when we got into Smorgasburg. Mm-hmm. We understood high vol- higher volume. Um, we understood how to scoop. Like why branding is important. How to set ourselves apart from other mm-hmm. like competition. Um, how to do events. How to cater. Like yeah. things like that is like what we started figuring out after that. Yep. Um, and that led to you know, to a pop-up stint in a food hall, and then finally led to a brick and mortar. Right. Um, I, I think that the the evolution of the brick and mortar happened because of exactly what you just said, the consumer feedback, that like how powerful mm-hmm. having access to your consumers yes. is.
0: Well, right. And that's the thing. If you see it almost as a marketing line item. Exactly. As opposed to, you know, because they're never going to make, I mean... They're just never going to make enough to like, you know, and you're going to have to have so many. So like, there's only so much of it that's scalable. But if you think of it as like research and, you know, marketing and, uh, you know, that direct touch with your consumer, all these D2C brands, I feel like are making these sort of experiential quote unquote, like experiences, right? Yeah. You just have one built in. Right. Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, you know, obviously it also offsets the lower margins of wholesale. Right. um, But it's also extremely seasonal. Exactly. (laughs) Like we're already experiencing. I was like, well, does it? I mean, I don't
0: know. I'm going to, you know, guess on the math on that one. You know, I mean, I'm sure, again, like, you know, I'm sure yes to some extent, but. It's not the moneymaker. It's
1: not the money maker. It's, the money maker.
0: Right. it's our test kitchen. Right. It's a way for, for our consumers to experience the brand. So when did you know that you had, when were you like, okay, dad, <laughs> I'm building something. Like I, now I feel like I have a business. I think,
1: I think I'm, I'm still working on it. Like I, I, I
0: don't. But I, you're in Whole Foods. Yeah, we're at Whole Foods, and that's. I mean, for a lot of people, that's like a oh, that's a that's a moment.
1: Yeah, I, I think that your your goalposts kind of keep changing, keep changing, mm-hmm. right? And so, yeah, I, I mean, getting into Smorgasburg was a huge moment for yeah. us. Yeah. Um, like that, making my first hire, um, yeah. raising my first round, like yeah. uh, all of these things are. Are big moments I, like I want to be a business, <laughs> yeah, yes.
0: and um and I you know I'm, I'm working at it. So let's talk about a few of those things. Let's okay. talk about raising your first round. Sure. When it, did you when did you feel confident enough to go out and raise some money? And was it primarily friends and family? Did you go to yeah? Angels? It, was a, it
1: was a friends and family round. I definitely did go to angels, knowing that I'm I was too small for angels, but it was to establish relationships for the next round, right? Um, but it was a complete complete friends and family round and it was right before I opened the first brick and mortar got it um, you know I, I knew that I would need capital right. um, for build out and for machinery and all of that mm-hmm. um, and and I I knew exactly where that money was going yep and so once I had that clear picture of that budget and those line items, I knew I was comfortable raising around.
0: And what would you advise? Was there, were there any sort of like big lessons that you learned in that process that you could share with people listening? Like things, yeah, mistakes I mean, you I, made or lessons you learned?
1: Well, first is that I didn't feel at all well-versed in, in, the, in this finance language. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel comfortable in it. I...
0: I think they do that on purpose.
1: I I mean, it's it's crazy. Um, And I didn't. I I would say that I didn't even know which questions to ask because I didn't know those questions existed. Um, And so it was difficult. Like those first conversations I had with um, you know with my friends and family, quote unquote. um, The first couple of them happened to be people who are in the finance industry. Uh Um, And good thing it was friends yeah. and family because they were like you might want to double check on that mm-hmm. one um, and, and so like it, it was a learning experience and it's it's embarrassing to be honest yeah. like to think that like you have a good handle on your own business yeah.
0: and you don't actually. I remember like it's like what's your burn? Yeah. And I was like my huh? Yeah. Like my burn? Yeah. You know but like calories? Like what are you talking yeah, about? I no yeah, idea. right. no You need to know. You just yeah. need to know what a month costs you. Yeah. You How know? many doors are you in? Yeah, I like know, I, I
1: know, I know. It's just like why, like why don't you just ask how many stores I am know, I in? I know. <laughs> you know. I know. It's just there's so many easier ways to ask the
0: same question. It is interesting. I think that at some point, I mean, I think I've had a couple of finance people on who probably, I think we have kind of gone through like those initial things that you just need to know. Like yeah. you need to have in your back pocket, you know, just in your phone and your notes, ready for when someone asks you. Um, but were you were you primarily raising money for the brick and mortar, or did you need money for like also to do some distribution stuff?
1: yeah, I mean I, I, that's went right when my wholesale was kind of taking off as well right. um, and and I think that this is just the lesson that I've learned in the food industry is that it's a capital intensive business, yep. Um, and so I will always, always need money, even yeah. when you know I've established that business yeah. and I'm like able to tell my dad that it's good and done and I'm mm-hmm. I'm good to go. Um, we'll still need we'll still need money. Yeah. Um, and so I was raising for both. And I will tell you that I didn't raise enough.
0: I thought I did. Yeah, I was, that was going to be my question. Yeah, I thought I did and I didn't. You never really do. I mean, they. You never everyone really says just, especially if, if you're on a roll and the environment's good, you know, raise a little more than you think you're going to need. And it's hard because you're also trying to preserve the equity and you're thinking like, maybe I can hold off and then the next round I can have a higher valuation and, you know, but...
1: Yeah, I I guess like I um I never really thought of it that way. Like I I I realized pretty early on that I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. Right. Um and you know like like I, I've I've mentioned already a couple of times how my parents are like such a huge they're they're such huge advisors to me and mm-hmm. because of what they went through but they're not in the food industry right um, and so they they have a hundred percent of their business and yeah that that's just how it works for them yep. and that's
0: what their advice was for me yeah. and I was just like I, I can't I know. It's, it's not fun. I know <laughs> I mean my parents said the same thing own as much as you can I'm like that is not possible exactly. in this business unless you are willing to invest. Potentially tens of millions of dollars into it. I mean, literally. Yeah, or it could stay be, really right? small. Right. Well, that's the thing. Right. And, but then, you know, honestly, for me, I don't think it's worth it. Right. You know, staying really small. It's too really much small, work, it's too to- hard. Yeah. It really is. Exactly. Okay. So, second, you said building your team. So tell me about that a little bit. Who was your first hire? Why? And, you know,
1: yeah, okay. I hired um, a head of ops first. Yeah, um, smart. It's just, you know, it made sense to me to get the operations down. Um, and I, I didn't really hire outside. I haven't really hired outside of that. I have a kitchen manager um, and I have a front of house staff for my shop no. So you do
0: sales? I do sales. Right. Yeah, I do sales. I do business development. Right. I do marketing. So when you're doing so, the way that you have it divided, so does ops do finance too? Like no, I do finance. Okay, so ops so is just getting the be, product made.
1: No, the the so their kitchen between kitchen manager and ops. Um, it, I think it's helpful to know that the, this is such a multi-channel business, yeah. and so. Not only is there the store operations, but it's wholesale operations right. um, so and it's combined. events operations. Got it. Makes sense. Um, so making sure that you know we have enough product, of course, but also making sure we're staffed, making sure we have enough supplies, lowering right. costs for everything. Got it. Um, you know, like business development for the event side things Mm -hmm. like that is what my ops manager does
0: well that's a that's a lot it's it's, a lot yeah a (laughs) lot of multi I mean I have a completely different team for sauce than I do for the brick and mortar yeah
1: and I would like I obviously would eventually like to get there I don't think my wholesale business is that big yet right um, that I feel like I can hand, I, c- like I can handle right. a lot of the wholesale and that business development and that marketing and sales and stuff like that. But, um, but hopefully we get to a point where I have a different ops manager for every single channel that we have. Right.
0: And then you are going to Central Market and you're going to the Whole Foods meetings and you're and you're looking at the reset schedule for Frozen and you're planning out the trade spend and all that stuff. I am. Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, I um, I am, and I, I I will also say that I'm good at it. Yeah. Seventy percent of the time. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm like I'm I'm I definitely miss deadlines, and I definitely yeah. um, forget to follow up because there's a lot going on.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so yeah, it 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 would it would definitely benefit me from, but like it's it's also one of those things that like. I've now been in it and this goes back to the two types of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. that like I I did learn. I was in it. I was doing everything and that makes me, that makes it that much harder to give it up to someone else yes. because the institutional knowledge that yep. I possess to be able to train someone in that yeah. is so difficult. It's yeah, so
0: time consuming. and And you're not sure it's even going to last. So it's almost like you don't want to you don't want to invest all that time and energy. It's, it's interesting though, because Mike from Oatly was on here and okay. he said a couple of weeks ago, like hire the team you're going to need in six months, not the team you need now. Interesting. Okay. Um, which does sort of speak to that a little bit because we're never ready to bring on another person. Like it's tiring and it's, and you know, you don't know how they're going to, Mesh and onboarding, and it's just you know, yeah. And there is so much that you know, and even those relationships are really important. And so, you don't want them being passed around, you want the person on the other end of the phone knowing they have the founder and they have you, and you're totally invested 100%.
1: Um,
0: but I think with sales, especially, it's just like there's so many. You know, if a sales meeting at this point in our stage as sort of freshmen is like 90% the mission and the vision and the and the product and the story, and 10% of it is like the trade spend, how many demos, how many you know like OIs or TPRs or whatever yeah. the hell they are, right? right? Don't ask Matt because I don't know. Um, but it it's going to well. flip at some point, right? It's going to go. It's going to start getting less about the vision and the story and more about the data and the numbers yeah, and the trade spend. Right. And that's when we're really going to need that second
1: person, that yeah. fourth, fifth, sixth person. Yeah. Yep. For yeah. For sure. I mean, like, I, I will caveat myself by saying that, like, that is also, even though it is time consuming, it is hard, I have that institutional knowledge, that is also the only way I'm going to be able to grow yeah. if, if I bring on someone else. And yeah. so, um, while we're still pretty small, yeah. um, I feel like I want to get it's one of those learning things. Again, I want to get a good handle of what all of these things mean and what we need to be able to take her. No,
0: it's true. And then you'll be able to manage that person too, because it's very hard to manage someone in something you have zero experience in. I've learned that the hard way. Um, Okay. So I have other questions, but I know that I'm going to start to get the flag down, but words of caution. Um, Anything you wish you knew then that you'd like to tell people now Anything you would have done differently and sort of, <laughs> this is a lot in one question, <laughs> but you can break it out however you want. Okay. Like, what are you, you know, you have, you, you send to consumers through Gold Belly, yeah. right? You send directly through your website or no, they, they get switched over to Gold Belly. We can do local pickup through our website. Okay. You have your scoop shop. You still do events. You're growing the distribution. Correct. Um, do you have a strategy? Let's <laughs> instead of let's let's not do the words of caution yet. Let's okay. do this question yeah. and then we'll get to the words of caution. Do you sort of break it into a pie chart of these are the different places that we sell. This is how much I want it to be of the pie and this is how I plan on sort of growing each piece.
1: Yeah, I I do and I don't. So we have been in brick and mortar for about eight months now. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that there's enough data or enough experience in there, right. especially Through off the season. Yep. Exactly um, for me to know, um, like that next step with brick and mortar. Do I want another store? Do I want multiple stores? Do I want a franchise? I don't know. Yeah. Right. What I do know is I absolutely want to focus attention on distribution and yep. wholesale. Um, like I think it's really important. Especially with you know, with social media, with marketing dollars, to if you're getting your name out there but you have no way of getting product That's to our them, problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's that's the problem I want to solve, actually. Yep. Like, I, I want to be able to either say you can you can order online and we can ship right. to you. Or go to Whole Foods near you. Or go to the closest store near you. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so th- that's what I'm focusing energy on for right. 2020. Yeah. Um, and then, like, I, like the way I look at events and catering, they're actually honestly so fun for us. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, like, a great way to have, like, a relationship with your consumers. Absolutely. Um, and so they're just icing on the cake for yep. us that, like, I, I, I just love doing them and I'd love to be able to kind of take our cart where we started with yeah. our ice cream cart and take them to these like, you know, do the events where it's like the happiest day of someone's life, No, you know? it's totally
0: great. Yeah, I'm just thinking maybe I should get married in the summer so I can have Malai there. <laughs> um, so before we get into the other one, I want, do want to ask you one more question about the wholesale piece, which is um, do you have a way, you know, ice cream, uh, thanks Matt, he just gave me like the hand, um, do you have a way of speaking to buyers, right? So as you said, there's only so much space in the frozen yeah. set, right? right? There is more sort of there are more ice creams now. There are many more regional ice creams. Yeah, I feel like now, how do you sort of Just, differentiate yourself, yeah. and what are what are what are your main sort of like compelling selling points to a central market who's not in your backyard? But what made them, what, how'd you get over the line with them? Yeah,
1: I, um, I always go back to a friend of mine is a reporter and he covered us from the very beginning. He covered us at, um, in 2015 at Hester street fair. Mm -hmm. Um, and like a couple of years later, that's like, you know, when rose ice cream wasn't a thing, like rose flavored things wasn't a thing. Cardamom was never really really mainstream and all of those flavors became a little bit more mainstream. Yep and this very well known ice cream company started a rose flavored ice cream and i like i was talking to him and i was like what do you like what do you think like it's good for you like <laughs> what do you think's going to happen yeah. like i'm not like i'm not the only one doing rose anymore and, and he was just like, who cares? Yeah. He was like, all you need to focus on is that you make really good ice yeah. cream.
0: Mm-hmm. It has
1: nothing to do with your flavors. Like, great that you have a point of view. Oh, interesting. But, like, he's like, you just make really good ice cream. And I think that that's, like, I, I You know, the brand-focused flavors is really important to me, that perspective, that, like, you know, representation, all of those things is very, very important to me and how I grew up and to, to kind of display that and back to my grandmother's, like you know, talk through food and be cross-traditional and cross-cultural. But also we make really good ice cream. Um, And and that's what it comes down to. Like it's unique flavors, but it's flavors that are approachable and, and that you will be able to connect to even if you've never heard of them.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I would say, yay, if a mainstream brand is making rose ice cream and yours tastes better, Yahoo, that's the best thing that could possibly happen yeah. to you, right? Because they can try it on them and then they can move over to you.
1: Right, and like, the thing is, is that rose-flavored ice cream for a mainstream brand probably won't work, right? right. Like, their audience is a little bit different right. and like we have a separate audience as well. Right. And so, like, like there's a reason why there is intense competition in ice cream. There's a reason why there are so many brands and there are these regional local companies coming up is because there's room for everyone... And everyone has their own customer base and their own market. And yeah. so I'm, like, I'm not scared of that. Right. Um, but like I, it, it did like when we're new and
0: we're just up and coming, yeah, sure. it's
1: it's just, you know, I do want to make sure that we stay in our lane and that
0: we're, we continue to do what we're best yeah, at. Yeah, and make a great product. And
1: make a great product. Okay,
0: so now words of caution or advice or something you wish you had known.
1: Yeah, I think I wish, I, I, I say this a lot that I wish I had known how lonely it is to be mm. an entrepreneur. Um, I, I think that there's, a certain um, romanticized aspect of being an entrepreneur, especially in the food industry. Yeah, um, I read this article once that it, it's kind of like um, you're on a lion. <laughs> you're sitting on a lion and yeah. everyone's like, oh my goodness, she's on a lion. And like, <laughs> it's like so in awe of you yeah. and you are on that lion being like, how the hell did I get on this yeah. lion and how the hell do I get off? Right. Um and I think that, that that like you know that being alone and making decisions kind of unilaterally and yeah. like all of those things that could like, you know, change the course of your life yeah. um is a can be a lot of pressure. Yep. Um, and, and I think that like, you know, no one ever told me that and I wish there's no way to be prepared for that. I will say that, but, um, I hope listening to this helps a little bit. Yeah. And I was going to say that like listening to this, the community that you've developed, that we've developed, like I think the New York food community is so generous and, um, so welcoming and so advice giving. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I feel like there's more of that that overtakes like that part yeah. where you feel a little lonely.
0: Um, anything you wish you had done a little differently? I mean, so much. <laughs> <laughs> anything in particular that you feel like you could spare, you know, save someone a couple months of a decision? Um, No, I don't think. Raise a little more money.
1: Raise a little <laughs> bit more money. Uh, I did talk to other people while I was raising, and every single one of them said, raise more than you think, and I didn't listen to them. Um, And so,
0: yeah, raise more money than you think. Okay. Best moment. And that's it. Like in- Ever. Ever. your life. No. No, since you started this- (laughs) Um, I,
1: my best moment was probably, we were at New York Wine and Food Festival and uh-huh. the producers that put it on had four days of eating amazing food. Um, and one of the people who put it on emailed me and said that the best bite that she had in the four days of New York Wine and Food Festival
0: was our rose ice cream. Wow. That was oh, exciting. that just gave me chills. Yeah, that All was right. happy. <laughs> well, that was a great way to end it. Thank you so much thank for being here, Joe This was so fun. Matt, thank you for letting me go a little bit over and for being the best engineer in the whole wide world. Um, if people want to buy your ice cream, go to Malai, M-A-L-A-I co. .co. <laughs> Um, follow um, on Instagram at Malai underscore ice cream. Awesome. And if you want to go on Goldbelly and buy it from them, you can do that too. You just search for us. Um, and again, those stores. Okay, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you.